0: Yeah, let's just pray for the Windmores, and um, yeah, just really, really thankful for you too, and I'm just surprised by the way God put this together, yeah. Father, we just, um, I'm just so grateful for my brother and sister here, um, and just being able to be a part of their journey a little bit, and, and yet you were there all along, and um, I think it's amazing to dream about each baby and child that was placed in front of them. Um, and, and yet, you kind of had this one kid and one mom and one family that, um, now that Lincoln's in their arms, it's like none of those other babies were meant to be. Like, this was it, and you, you knew, and you walked them through it, and um, it, was always, it was always Lincoln, it was always Caitlin. And it was always this redemptive story. And um, yeah, we're just grateful to be here. And um, thank you that the Whitmores were willing to say yes. And thank you for this new addition to our church family as well. Um, And we just bless them, and we bless Lincoln, and we ask that you continue to walk with him and that um, we are all adopted into your family, and we're excited for him being adopted into your family as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. <laughs> um, let's see, yeah, we just, I'm just really grateful for your, our generosity as a community, the way you've been generous to this church uh, financially. And because of that, we were able to help support the Woodmores um, 1,500 in the adoption process. It costs about 25,000 to adopt a kid and uh, her, their family helped out, but they've paid a lot out of pocket as well, and so uh, we got to help out with that, and you know, I was just kind of looking at our church finances, and we've been, uh, by the end of this year, we'll have given out $15,000 um, outside of the church to our, our missionaries here, whether it's the apartment complex or on campus through Crew and Epic, and then we've supported about 10 of our members, Um, into summer projects this year, whether it's Uganda or Southeast Asia or San Diego or Wildwood and other locations. And so um, we're two years old. We're not at zero yet in terms of budget, but I feel like our leadership and you have been so generous that we're able to give even now. And we hope that we continue to be able to support um, adoption and missionaries and work around, around this area. So thank you so much for your generosity. That allows us to be generous as well. All right. We got one person clapping. <laughs> Keep clapping till this works. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keep yourself entertained. Oh, oh, no, Belinda. Was that you or me? That was you. All right. Okay, that was me? Yeah, you, still you? Okay. All right. So I'll just pretend to click and you really click. All right. So um, we have child dedications next Sunday, really excited about that. If you uh, have a kid that you want to dedicate, please talk to Tiffany Kim and we'll be doing a little class uh, from 9 a.m. and then we'll do a child dedication next Sunday for our babies and some of our toddlers and kids as well. And um, we also have next Sunday, Uh, our first special needs outing. So Daniel Warden has really led this team. I'm really proud of him and we've been kind of gathering together for almost a year now but this is the first time we get to go out as a team with some people in this community to downtown Disney. We're gonna watch Finding Dory uh, from 2 to 6 and also explore downtown Disney. Look for Pokemon if you want to do that. Um, And we want to extend this invitation to Anyone you have in your life who has special needs, we would love for you to think through some friends and family that you can invite out as well. And so we'll have more information in the back, but you can also talk to Daniel Warden, and uh, we, after this event, the following month, we're going to do a dance for people who have special needs. And we have a small group dedicated to serving this population. And every month, they help out with families with special needs kids. We babysit them as they do workshops and fellowship. And we're inviting them out as well. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. All right, um, Arden's starting up a basketball ministry. Uh, there's actually a basketball gym right downstairs. And he's taking great initiative. And um, we're starting this Sunday. So we'd love for you to come out at 3.45 uh, downstairs to sign waivers, and then we're going to play from four to six and also dream about what it looks like to have uh, this space and basketball become something that we can do missionally. And lastly, our Zion, Zion trip is coming up next month, and we have 45 paid confirmed people. So like half of our church is going out, but we still have a few slots. So if you're interested, uh, again, go to the connection table in the back, and also we'll post some, um, some ways for you to sign up for that. All right, we are in our kind of Bible in the summer series, and we're working through the Old Testament. We started with Ken talking about creation, and then we went into um, Adam and Eve and the fall, and um, I think as we look at Adam and Eve, we, we remember that God created the world perfect, you know? A good, powerful, loving God doesn't create a world like this, where there's gun violence, and viruses, and famines, and disasters. He creates a world where we get to see him face to face where we get to go on walks and hold his hand in the cool of the day where we have this unhindered relationship with him. He creates a world where we can stand naked before each other in Eden because you get to be completely vulnerable and honest and people don't take advantage of you and you have intimacy with every person you meet. And he created a world where there was provision and purpose where Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about food or shelter, where their bodies were indestructible, They could lay in snow and feel the chill without worrying about hypothermia. They see a hurricane coming through and they jump on it and it's their roller coaster. And when you look at Eden, it's really God's kingdom in, in its completeness, God's country, if you will. There's a territory, this garden, There's a king, Jesus, God. There's citizens, Adam and Eve, and there's his perfect law being enacted. And so harmony with God and each other and purpose and and the earth happens when God is reigning and ruling. But God is a ruler that doesn't keep his citizens hostage. He has an open hand, and so man decided to rebel against God. And he said, we want to reign, we want to rule, we want to make our laws. So they ate this fruit that represented rebellion and free will. And we went from eating fruit to killing um, our brother in the story of Cain and Abel. And from from there, Noah's generation was completely corrupt. The Bible describes it, uh, Moses describes it as every person's, every intention was evil all the time. And during during that period, there was no governance, there was no police force, there was no army. People acted out on every evil thought that they imagined. And from there, there was one man who was righteous, who walked with God, who believed in him. And with precision, God rescued this one person and destroyed the rest of the earth. And then a few generations down, we have this really significant man named Abraham. Abraham. And God makes a promise with him to uh, create a second Edom, Eden, a second kingdom. Next slide, please. And um, And out of this man he's creating again another kingdom in which he's ruling. And so in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, next slide, we see this very promise start to unfold into the rest of the Old Testament. It says, "And I will make." of you a great nation. He says this to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want to point out a few things. The first thing is that Abraham was promised a nation, a a country, a kingdom that out of his descendants would come a nation. And we'll talk about what a nation is comprised of. And secondly, this nation would be able to bless other nations. Its function, its purpose was to bless and draw people to God, was to be a kingdom like Eden where God's the ruler and there's a territory and there's citizens and people would reside there. This was the second kingdom that God was building out on earth. And from Abraham, oh, back two slides please, one more. So we see Abraham, he has a child named Isaac, one kid, and most of his journey, most of his narrative is about waiting for one kid so that there's a possibility for a nation to come out of his descendants. His kid comes out, Isaac, Isaac has uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau, maybe a few more that I don't remember. Those are two big ones. And then after Jacob, is Joseph. And Jacob has 12 sons, which becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. He's like the father of Israel. And then Joseph becomes sold into slavery. He goes into Egypt um, as a slave, but becomes a ruler through this famine, and then invites Jacob and the rest of his family into Egypt. And yet, even in Egypt, Jacob knew that this wasn't the end, that they weren't supposed to just be this part of this other nation. He knew God had promised um, his father, his grandpa, Abraham, that he would become a nation. And that there was this land that they were in that was supposed to be their country. And so at his deathbed, he tells Joseph, don't let me be buried here. Hold on to my bones, hold on to my body, make sure I get buried in the land that was promised to Abraham. Three slides out. One more, please. One more, please. And then they spend these, these uh, 12 sons, including Joseph as the youngest, and their family spend 400 years in Egypt. They kind of incubate there um, as a family or as a tribe as they continue to grow. 400 years is a long time. It's about twice as long as the history of the US, and you can think about it that way. And then at the end of that time, they take a census, and at that time, they, the way they take censuses is um, how many people can fight, pick up a sword and fight. So it would be males um, in their 20s. So there's about 600,000 males in their 20s as they take a census in Numbers chap- uh, chapter 1, verse 46. And so we kind of estimate that there's about 2.5 million people living in Egypt at this time. And during that time, Um, The new pharaoh that comes to power, he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember the way that Joseph's God delivered Egypt from famine. And he sees the Jews as a threat. 2.5 million people is a lot. Maybe it's like 1.5 during that time. And he's thinking, man, if another country invades, these, this subgroup, these Jews, will join this other country and overtake our 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 nation, uh, Egypt, and so we're going to enslave them. And that's really the beginning of of Moses' story, as you heard from uh, Paul. All right, next slide, please. God delivers um, the Jews from Egypt, and he does ten plagues, and each one is very precise. It's it's to attack. It's like a, a frontal attack on the gods of Egypt. So every god that the Egyptians worshipped, god, our, our god, Yahweh, created a plague in order to say, nope, I'm actually, um, I actually own this territory. I actually own this category. Whether it's the Nile River or birth, which um, the pharaoh was supposed to be in charge of, or the sun, or frogs. God's like, nope, I'm actually the ruler of all of these things. And I think he's doing that to overthrow the Egyptians' concept of God and power. But he's also doing that to purge maybe this uh, polyistic view of of godness from his own people, from the Jews. And so they go through um, the plagues. Pharaoh finally lets them go. Prince of Egypt... The waters part, you know, uh, Whitney Houston singing "I Believe" or some song, and then they get to this mountain called Mount Sinai, and this is where we pick up. And it's extremely, it's an extremely important part of our spiritual heritage because this is when God fulfills His promise to Abraham. This is when this little family becomes a tribe, and now becomes a nation, and now becomes a nation that becomes a blessing. To all the other nations. So, what constitutes a kingdom or a country or a nation? Well, there's four different components, right? The first one is that there's a law, there's a way in which this country is governed. If you think about every country in the world, there's a law or a constitution that governs that country. Secondly, there's a government. Um, you know, in the US, we have several governing entities: uh, Supreme Court, the Houses, the President. Um, but there's some type of government. Thirdly, there's a territory. There's actually you know, a point on a map and a circle. You can draw around that point that says, this is your country, all right? And fourthly, there's citizens. And the first thing that happens when they, well, not the first thing. Eh, the first thing that happens when they get to the mountain that God, and as God's inaugurating this nation fulfilling the promise that happened 500 years ago to a man he had a private conversation with who had died 400 400 years ago. You see the faithfulness of God through these 500 years and now he's going to upkeep that promise um, five centuries later, which is pretty phenomenal. And this is how God does it. Moses goes up to the mountain and representing the 200, 2 million uh, 500,000 people who are just like slaves that left a really powerful country um, because of God. And God says, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you out myself. It wasn't Moses and a, a staff and him taking out on an army, right? It's, it's God, through Moses, hand, you know, gathering his people and bringing them out under his protection. And now we see the four components of a nation. Now, if you obey me, God as the king fully, um, the quotations, what's in the parentheses is not in the scriptures, but I added them in to help us conceptualize this nation part. Okay, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant then all the nations you th- then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions although the whole earth is mine you'll be for me a kingdom of priests a royal nation so the way god intended israel to be was this amazing country in which he would rule there would be a territory around his rulership. There's his temple. They would be his people, and there would be laws governing this country. And just like you could walk into Disney and be like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is like Walt Disney or Mickey's kingdom, right? And uh, there's this really cool picture. Uh, I don't know how much tangenting I want to do, but there's this cool picture of like Walt Disney looking into a mirror, and in the mirror is Mickey Mouse. It's a really uh, kind of profound concept and he's ruling Disney Uh, Mickey is ruling Disney and you understand when you walk into Disneyland the territory in which Disney resides in and the culture and the laws that are in Disney right it's 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 a different culture it's a different there's a presence there of like happiness and great customer service and living and pursuing your dreams and imagination uh, having no boundaries and we can walk into Disneyland and say, okay, Disney like, rules here. like Mickey rules here. And during the Old Testament times, um, after they settle into Canaan, you could can walk into a country and say that God rules here. This is God's country. And not at all in the way that the U.S. is, is under God. Uh, very different than that. It was like literally this is the country and the people of God and there's a set of laws here, and there's no king for a while, and God is the king, and here are his people, and here are the boundaries. And if you can imagine, like, Google, Map, Globe with me, this whole earth at this time is filled with darkness and sin and corruption, and all these nations are grappling for what is right and wrong, and they don't know, but God gives this gift of law to his people. God gives this gift of land and rulership to this people. And it's like on this dark earth in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, there's this beacon of light that shines forth and people are drawn to it. And there's people who say, I don't want this king. I want Yahweh as my king. I don't wanna live in this land under this law. I want to live in Jerusalem under the law of God. I don't want this citizenship. I want to be a citizen of Yahweh. And that's how they were meant to be a blessing to every nation because nations would look at this land and say, man, when they were doing it right, when, God, when they were letting God rule, they were invincible. God went to war for them. God would wipe out armies and they would go and collect their posi- possessions. And sometimes he would let them run in and just destroy everyone. Um, they were completely invincible, they were prosperous, there were, there were moments in history where gold would just lay on the floor because they had so much money. They were, they were healthy, there was justice, um, God reigned. There was this temple that his presence indwelled and resided in, and one time, as people repented, his presence came so strongly that the young men and women danced and celebrated, just From his presence, feeling his glory and love, and the old men hit their knees and wept for the sins of their nation in the past. I mean, there was this tangible presence where you would would be able to meet and find God. We're going to focus in on the law because this is kind of the point, the place of the text we're in. So the law has um, the law is really resides in the Torah. Which is the first five books of the Bible, and primarily it's at the end of Leviticus, um, and then most of Levitic or sorry at the end of Exodus and most of Leviticus and Deuteronomy is dedicated to this law that God is prescribing to His people, and when you think about the law, as Americans, you know we get allergic reaction because we don't you know we don't like law, but the law was built is built on the foundation of love, of what it means to love God and love others. And he's giving us guidelines and boundaries on what it looks like to love people. And you know, we live in a society where, where we come out of a Judeo-Christian legal system and we have all of these assumptions, but a lot of uh, cultures don't, like they're just grappling for it, right? And there is laws, there is rules in how we interact. Um, you know, so like I can't punch Nina and say I love her. It's not nice. But, but um, so there's a law, right? There's a law that says uh, don't punch your pregnant wife. And, and it's built on love because if you love someone, you don't punch them. Does that make sense? And every law that God inscribes is for the purpose of love. And we, once we divorce that purpose of loving him and loving others, it becomes legalistic, it becomes arbitrary, it becomes useless, but every law that he puts into place is linked, is, is, um, is tied to the law of love. And that's what Jesus says, that the, the laws and the prophets all hang off of loving God and loving others. But what I've really enjoyed about kind of reading through some of these laws is how God is intimately involved in, in aspects of ruling this country, and also how he stands up for the weak. Next slide. <laughs> My pretend click. Okay, so here's some really cool verses. It says, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, uh, oh, this is like after the Ten Commandments, so the Ten Commandments is kind of a, an outline for the rest of the laws that he would, he would then um, kind of flesh out. Uh, Return it by sunset because the cloak is the only covering your neighbor has so this is kind of assuming your neighbor is poor What else can they sleep in when they cry out to me? I will hear for I am compassionate So God has this really like intimate relationship with his people Saying man if you borrow your neighbor's cloak and they go to sleep and they can't fall asleep because they're shivering and They're sad and they talk to me about it. I'm gonna hear and I'm, gonna, I'm compassionate. I hear people who are wounded and hurting, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act in justice for him. He says, You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. It's like, remember, that's who you were until I adopted you. And this whole nation is set up for other people to come and be a part of my kingdom. And so he has all these provisions for people who come in as immigrants because it was meant to be a country for all of God's people, um, to be a light to shine across every nation, to be a blessing to every nation, as he says uh, to Abraham. But there's also limitations in the law. Um, First of all, the law is not meant for salvation. So the law is governing this people group, but even if you keep the law to a T, it wasn't meant to be able to give you righteousness or give you um, salvation, allowing you to get to heaven. Um, and I think part of that, which was really surprising to me, is that the law, even, even the Torah, like all of those books, if you were to keep every law perfectly, you're still a sinner. Isn't that crazy? Because we can't keep it perfectly anyways. But even if you were to keep every law in the Bible perfectly, you would still be a sinner before God. And I get this because Jesus is talking about the law, and he's talking to these Pharisees, these elite Jews, who are not only keeping the law, but having the law like spawn other laws that they also want to keep in order to keep the laws that God's prescribing. And Jesus kind of throws them in a loop. And he's like, okay, you think you're perfect? You think you've, you're good enough? You think you've kept the law? Well, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. If you hate somebody, you've committed murder. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm screwed. <laughs> and we should all kind of feel that way a little bit. And that's not in the law that God prescribes. The law that God prescribes is really a compromise between his perfect law of like looking at women and committing adultery, and that's kind of what he considers the standard of righteousness, and this very realistic world that we live in. And he creates a law out of the compromise of the two. And so it was never meant to save us. What it was meant to do was to show us our sin. And we, we don't like that. And I think we retreat from the Bible or we retreat from church or Christianity because we don't want to see our sin. But the part of the law's very purpose is to show us our sin, but also to show us that we need a Savior. So Romans chapter 3, verse 19 to 20, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world kept accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we've become conscious of our sin. Next slide. And then Galatians chapter three, verse 24, it says, so the law was our guardian, or maybe like our foster parents, if you will, our tutor, someone who kind of looks after us, until Christ comes that we may be justified by faith. So that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Next slide. There's a the last slide, so put away your Pokemon, you know, catching and pay attention here. Um, Adam, Abraham makes this covenant with God. When, when Abraham and God makes, uh, God makes this promise to him, he says, hey, I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to bless you, and every nation on earth will be blessed through you. How they make this covenant is they slice up animals, they cut them in half, big animals. And they make an alley with them by separating the middle of the torso to their head to the middle of their torso and their legs. And so in this aisle are these separated animals with their guts and intestines and blood just kind of hanging out everywhere. And this was the ancient rituals that kings used to do when they made promises to each other. The kings would would do this, and then the two kings would walk down the aisle together and say that if one of us breaks this covenant... We, sh- we deserve to die. Or if you watch Harry Potter, it's like the unbreakable promise, right? Or, you know, and then you die, you break it. Um, and so at Abraham and God walk through this aisle, and he says, and they make this covenant that Abraham and his kids and his descendants would be loyal and follow God, and God would rule and um, and, and tenderly keep them, and that they would make this this nation and this um, this kingdom through his descendants, and then we have in the law. We s- right away when you even after right at, right as the laws are given, you just start seeing the hearts of of people and of the Jews, and how they just flop so easily, like they. They worship this golden calf and then like in the wilderness, they rebel against Moses and they want to become slaves again. And when they get to the land, you know, they worship all these idols and then they turn back to God and they worship idols again. And, God's, and so we were never capable of living righteously and keeping the law on our own and from the beginning of our faith till now. But God gives this provision and he says, I'm going to, whenever you sin, you're going to sacrifice an animal. And there's one way in which they sacrificed, where they would have two lambs and one would be placed on the altar and killed and the other one would be set free. And then Jesus comes and he shows, that, that er, he shows us that every animal that was sacrificed because they couldn't keep their promise, because they kept rebelling, was really symbolic of him. One of the ways that Jesus announced himself and that he was announced was that he would be the lamb that was slain, the lamb of God, the one that would be sacrificed for our sins. And when he comes, he's, he, keeps, he takes our punishment for us, that all of us, because we broke this law, because we weren't able to live righteous, we see our sin and and we see these animals being split in two and we're like man god i can't keep my promise i can't be righteous i can't be holy i can't do good all the time i'm evil i've done some really horrible things and then the covenant before us is like well you deserve to be cut and, you know killed and 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 take on death but then jesus comes and he says And he takes on our humanity, and he's like, let me fulfill the law for you. I'm going to do it all right. I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to keep God's covenant. And also, I'm going to take on the punishment that you deserve. And that's what this Christian faith is all about. Us having this hero who represents us, that when we couldn't keep the covenant, he keeps it for us. When we deserve death, he takes it for us. And then from there, Jesus establishes this new territory, this new kingdom. He moves it from a specific place on Google Map in Israel, in Jerusalem, and he, and he expands it all of, all of the world through the church. And he says, as a community, as a church, you're gonna be a people under God's kingship, living under a different code, under a different citizenship. And people are going to be drawn to you because you have a different culture. And I, I feel that with our church. We want, as a community, to say this is another spot in the millions million of places around the world. So I was just kind of thinking about, like, Pokemon points. So if you, if you play Pokemon Go, you know how all those points... <laughs> All those stations, like we're like one of those stations, but for Jesus, right? And here, there's a kingdom that he's establishing, that we're first loyal to our King Jesus before we are loyal to our president. That we are first citizens of God's kingdom before we are citizens of the U.S. That we first live under God's law before we live under our country's law. And And there we become this beacon of light, right? Um, on top of a hill that people are drawn to. And not only do we live in that way here where we love each other and we take care of each other's needs and we can become vulnerable and we connect with God, we also do that at our apartment complex, um, at our school, Cal State Fullerton, at the laundry mat, in our families, in our workplaces. We are still citizens even as we leave And when people see our citizenship, they see our king. When people see the laws that we live under and the way that God reigns in our lives and community, we pray just as people around Israel did. They flocked to them. We pray that people would say, we want to live under this king who's humble, who sacrifices, who loves his servants. We want to live under this rule where people are connected to God and each other and can be vulnerable. We want to live under this purpose where we expand his kingdom in kindness and love and and look after the immigrants and look after the poor and look after people who have disabilities. And so God had this perfect kingdom in Eden. He has this partial kingdom in Israel. And now there's this promised kingdom all around the globe as Christians today gather together to form a community that touches the communities around them. God, we love you, and we ask that you would teach us to want and desire your rule in our life. I pray that there would be the sense where we say, man, your rule is better. You being king is better. And we want to be a part of your kingdom and your community.